When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Grant. And if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here to join us on this journey on discovering new music. If you like what you listen to, go down to the description of whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, Leave us a like. Leave us a rating if you so desire. Um, Get in the conversation on Instagram and Facebook, at Good Music Podcast for Instagram. I don't know what the Facebook understand facebook because i'm only 20 years old so i'm a youngin um, but definitely you're going to get on the conversation there and suggest whatever artists you want us to talk about and we might just include them in an episode we want to tailor this podcast to you guys because you're the ones who listen to it um and if you really really love the podcast or you really really love exclusive and early content there to a patreon page which is our patreon page and if you support us for the equivalent of a convenience store snack every month, you will get exclusive and early access to episodes early and also the After Hours Bad Music Podcast section, which we do for every artist. And we talk about their worst music. And it is completely no filter, off kilter. I'm a poet and I didn't know it kind of content. So <laughs> you'll definitely want to check that out. Um, and I think without further ado, that's all the main points I have to hit. If I missed it, go listen to another episode. Speaking of which, this is a volume two. At the first episode of every month, we do a volume two episode. So we go revisit an artist we've already talked about. Um, And so you definitely want to listen to the first episode on this artist so you can get more context. But I would say less this episode as much as other volume twos is that important because we really kind of see a reinvention of the band with this one if i'm not mistaken so what are we talking about so we're going to talk about um gods themselves judas priest and this is this is timely because um this episode comes out um i am leaving dad to go to vegas to see judas priest in concert my first time to get to see them so there was definitely this was intentional timing to pair this episode with me going to see them mm-hmm. I, i'm gonna go see them in about a month oh yeah that's right <laughs> I, I didn't know. so I we'll, you have, told to, me you we'll had have to compare picture. notes at some yeah point. Uh, so um, i guess we would we would both start out first thought first thoughts starting at at least an eight for both of us oh i'm i'm i definitely am starting at a nine Ooh, okay. 
Judas Priest has long been one of my top metal bands. They came in pretty early in my um, discovery of metal. And um, Painkiller has a lot to do with that. I'll get into more detail about what Painkiller has meant to me over the years. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those turning point in my life songs and records. So, um, so yeah, Judas Priest has, has for a while been one of the most influential metal bands, um, in my life. Um, so, I mean, a nine is pretty, um, guaranteed for me, but I would say that it was, it would probably be a low nine just because there were still pockets of their discography that I had never really explored before because they they have so many eras and so many different phases of their career. I would say probably no other metal band has so many distinct micro phases. Yeah. Yeah. Um to where there's there's so many like groups of two or three albums where they do something and then completely shift into something else. And in the weirdest way it still sounds totally Judas Priest. Yes. Like every single era you listen to it and you're just like that's like instantly you know, from the harmonized guitars and the heavy drums or the really high vocals, you can tell that it's Judas Priest. And it's not just those aspects. It's the way that they do it, too. There's always the priest spin on everything. I would say that Judas Priest, and I'll, I'll promise I'll toss over to your first thoughts in a second, but I have to go off on this tangent. No, there, yeah, I would say that Judas Priest has the most, um, like, recognizable type of riff. To where they there's a certain type of that even when other people do it you you always go oh man that's such a Judas Priest riff and I feel like maybe only Sabbath has that other kind of like just instant recognizable sound to the types of riffs that they make like Judas Priest always has like this they've kind of trademark like the the syncopated um accented guitar riffs that or just the the types of notes that they're throwing into it kind of those those menacing kind of half step but still like chugging and aggressive um and it's just you can you can tell a judas priest riff the instant that you hear it And not go, oh, that's a great riff. You hear it and go, that's a Ju- that sounds like a Judas Priest riff. If you've never even heard the song before and you hear the opening riff, like there's just something about the types of riffs they write that are so characteristically them. And I think that that's been one of the secrets to their success and their ability to kind of change their sound on a regular basis is that that's kind of always stayed intact. Yeah. yeah. So... What are your first thoughts on Jewish Priest? Well, so me, I'm starting at an eight. I have to start at an eight by definition because I am going to go see them, right? Uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily to the point of a nine because I haven't heard every Judas Priest song. I haven't listened to one song from every album. I don't really know a lot about their history, but there are multiple eras that I like. Um, so like my first introduction to metal included their cover of... Johnny Be Good, 
And I'm like, man, this is like the heaviest thing I've ever heard. This is so awesome. The guitars were, you know, super virtuosic and whatever. And little did I know, right? I had no idea Painkiller even existed at this point. Um, and of course, I know Living After Midnight and, and uh, You've Got Another Thing Coming, which are all over the radio. And of course, my dad is a big fan of those two songs. Oh, I know. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, I know. Um, and, and I think from that point, nothing happened until download 2015 when they were on there. And I was like, ooh, Judas Priest, I recognize these guys. You know, they look cool. They got like the the chrome everything. And there's like the cool like Redeemer of Souls guy from the album on the kick drums. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. So I listened to them. And of course, they played Redeemer of Souls. I'm like, man, this is really awesome. So I go listen to the whole album. Like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. That's a and great record. It was really good. And I was thinking, oh, it's probably going to be pretty mediocre because, you know, they are an older band. They're just trying to do the same thing over again, right? Because I already experienced that from Van Halen and and Rush. Well, not Rush so much. Clockwork Angel is a great album. But different kind of truth, Van Halen is kind of more or less the same as the rest of their career. It wasn't anything new. But Redeemer of Souls was like, this is good stuff. Um, so I listened to that whole album. And then Firepower was about to come out. Um, and That's so another- like... The- the week it came out, I like played the heck out of it. I just like front to back, I downloaded it on, I ripped it off of YouTube, put it on my phone and then just played it on repeat for a week and a half. And so I know all those songs really, really well. Um, and then that got me introduced to painkiller and then got me introduced to jugulator. And, uh, those two albums I really, really love, which of course we're talking about one of them now. Um, and yeah, so like the, the, the early 90s Judas Priest and the modern Judas Priest are probably my two most familiar eras. But that doesn't mean that I don't like songs like The Sentinel and Electric Eye and, you know, the real big classic Priest songs as well. So I'd have to say I'm an eight, very good potential to go to a nine. Um, as yeah, you discover. I, I love them. <laughs> I, just, I love their sound and Rob Halford's a great vocalist. I mean, when we, when my first episode, you asked me, who do I want to sing like? And I was like, Oh, Rob Halford, but warmed up, you know? So, uh, <laughs> and that, that has not changed going through listening to these songs and kind of reminding me of like the raw power of painkiller has kind of driven me to want to get back into that vocal practice you know, so I can do those high screams and stuff. And I now have more vocal discipline than I did before. So I can kind of pull them off on a good day. (laughs) So you've got, it's most everyone needs to be on a really good day to match what Rob Halford can do. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I think I will say that he's probably the greatest metal singer of all time. Right. We did have our Dio episode and I love Dio, but some of the stuff that we're going to listen to today is just, <laughs> it's yeah, just, it, it, it's unparalleled. No one can do it. No, no one can do it. So let's, um, so we, in our first Judas Priest episode, which you guys should go check out, by the way, because it'll be the best kind of first step into Judas Priest, but I'll do a quick recap of, of the band. So um, bassist Ian Hill is, is the, is the founding member of the band founded in 69 
Um, guitarist K.K. Downing joined soon after that. Um, then Rob Halford joined in 73. And right before they made their first record, Glenn Tipton joined. And so those are kind of the four, like, classic members of Judas Priest. Um, Ian Hill is the only continuous member still with the band. Um, Obviously, Rob Halford's with them now, but he did leave for a good bit in uh, the 90s and early 2000s. So he's not a continuous member up to this point. Um, Glenn Tipton is the other longest serving, but he, his position in the band right now is very tenuous because unfortunately he has Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. And so he's not able to fully tour. I think right now on the tour that they're on, he's like, I think he's coming on for the encore to do some of like the classic priest songs, Mm -hmm. but that's like the, that's the extent of what he's physically able to do. Right. And then KK left like in the late 2000s. So he's been away for quite a while now. Oh, I didn't realize he left so far. Okay. Well. Yeah, he left right after uh, 2008's uh, Nostradamus. Yeah, well, you kind of cut your losses on that one. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple good songs on it. Um, But yeah, so, and then the uh, they've had a revolving uh, number of drummers throughout the years. Um, it's kind of, I heard Rob Halford say that when they went and saw Judas Priest and they made the joke about the different drummers that they have, that they thought that they were talking about them. (laughs) Cause that's one of the things that Judas Priest until recently, that was the running joke is that they could never hold on to a drummer. (laughs) They went, they went to a point where their first four albums had four different drummers. Wow. They had a different drummer on each of their first four records. And then the one that played on the fourth album only played on two before he got replaced. So mm-hmm. six albums, five drummers. And and drummers that were like members of the band. Why like why'd they leave? Was it just various reasons or they just found somebody better? Or? Um it was it was usually a mix. They never found a drummer that they were ever happy with long term. Um, at because of the fact that they were constantly changing during that first phase of their career in the seventies, they just they never had a drummer that was versatile enough to kind of adapt with them. He could usually only do one specific thing really well, and then whenever they would change and go, okay, we want to play more something like this, he was never up for the job. It's kind of sad. And also just drummers that were just like, you know what? This is not my thing. I don't want to do this. Oh, or, man, imagine. Um, you imagine know. hindsight. Personnel issues, money issues. Um, they did get um, a guy named Dave Holland that did stay with them for about 10 years that played on all the 80s stuff. So his first record was British Steel and then ended with Ram It Down. Oh, man, that's a pretty good run, though. Yeah, so he, at the time, he had the he had the best run. But um, their current drummer, uh, Scott Travis, has been yeah. with them for 30 years now. 
Scott Travis, not to be confused with Travis Scott. Yes. <laughs> I actually have to catch myself a lot of times going, wait, is it Travis Scott or Scott? Tra- okay, it's Scott Travis. Mm. We'll get into more of that story when we start talking about Painkiller in particular. Oh, that's true. Um, but those those are kind of your members of the band. So they, their first record comes out, I believe, in 75. And it gets very lukewarm reception. Pretty much just like nobody nobody even buys it. It's a it's oh, a it's a big time flop right out the gate. And for good reason, it's not a very good record. We'll actually talk a little bit about it in our after hours segment. Um, but the second record is no sophomore slump. In fact, their second record, Sad Wings of Destiny, is often mm-hmm. signed as one of the greatest metal records of all time. Certainly a contender for best metal record of the 70s. Man, yeah, Victim of Changes. That oh, was on yeah. the first episode. Uh-huh. What a what a incredible song. Yeah. But there's other great classics on there as well with The Ripper and Tyrant and Genocide and Dreamer Deceiver. It's just it's a really strong record. That was the record that Judas Priest became Judas Priest. And so um, throughout the 70s, they continued to kind of build that that metal sound. And once we hit 1980 with British Steel, that's kind of when a shift happens where it's not just about being an underground metal band. Let's now, you know, make our music radio friendly, not in the way of selling out, but let's let's take a page from Punk's playbook and stop making, you know, seven-minute songs with these really <laughs> intricate um, structures, and let's just get right to the point. That's that's what we consider to be heavy, is something that just pummels you from start to finish. No, you know, exploratory noodling sections. That's a, <laughs> that's a Slayerism as well. Worked out for them, too. Yeah, but definitely... Kind of become a characteristic of all metal bands, really. Their their goal was to bring metal to as many people as possible. So to them, it wasn't a, it wasn't about getting a radio hit for the sake of being popular, but to the fact that the better, the higher we get on the charts, the more people will discover metal. It's Very it's all common. for the it's all for the sake of metal. You could really say that British Steel was the first big crossover metal record. Um, the, kind of the first one to really make a lot of sizable um, uh, impact on the pop charts. So um, you could say that the 80s metal movement kind of begins with British Steel. And so you've got a lot of 80s to thank Judas Priest. And they continued to be at the head of the scene throughout the first half of the 80s. I mean, you've got... You've got British Steel, you've got Screaming for Vengeance, you've got uh, Defenders of the Faith. I mean, oh man, those three, those three right there. Are yeah, like... those, yeah, those are three of the defining 80s metal albums. Man. And so that's where we left off the story on our first episode. So Defenders of the Faith was unfortunately the end of an era there weren't any personnel changes but this is when judas priest enters one of their their slump periods in the late 80s 
Um, they only released two records in the second half of the 80s. First is 1986's Turbo and 88's Ram It Down. There's still some pretty good songs in there. I mean, Turbo there Lover's are. Uh, Turbo Lover is a great song. Oh, yeah. That intro with the flanging guitars. Oh, uh, man. That's an early priest song that I liked when I was, you know, 10 years old. <laughs> but but it's the only great song on that record. Yeah, there's there's also some pretty awful songs on that record as well. Parental Guidance is an easy one to just listen to and go, what what is happening? <laughs> okay. So what was happening was Rob Halford w- was very seriously into alcohol and cocaine at this point. Oh. And he is the band's main lyricist. And he has openly stated that um, he phoned it in lyrically on that record. And that he looks back on some of the songs that he wrote. He's like, I can tell some of the songs that we wrote pre-cocaine that, you know, he was like, Turbo Lover, I wrote that before got out of control. And, you know, Rock You All Around the World and Hot Night or Wild Nights, Hot and Crazy Days was after cocaine. He's just like, I just was writing like generic, dumb, let's have a good time songs and not what Priest normally was known for. Mm-hmm. So. It's yeah, interesting it was, that those don't make them into the, into the bottom list. Yeah. Um, Judas I Priest guess- had, had a couple of slump moments in their career. I would say that Ram It Down is is an even worse record than Turbo is. At this point, though, Rob Halford is just out of... But the band, just in general, was low morale state. Their album is, uses drum machines, and they hadn't even gotten rid of Dave Holland yet at this point. Cool. Yeah, so... There were a lot of tensions there with Dave Holland being like, why are you not letting me drum on this record? And when Tipton was the main, he was the main keyboard synthesizer electronic pusher during that period of the band. He knew how to work it all and he was very fascinated with all the sounds that he could get. And he was like, in hindsight, I think we kind of did him dirty, but also at the same time, it was an excuse to kind of get rid of him because we weren't happy with his drumming anymore. <laughs> oh man, poor guy. Yeah. So after, after Ram it down, after that tour, he said, I'm out. If you're going to write over my parts with the drum machine, that obviously shows that you don't, um, you don't want my actual drumming in the band so message, I, re- message received. So I guess that you could say, Turbo had bad lyrics and bad uh, 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 contribution from Halford, and Ram It Down had bad contribution from everyone. Yeah, I would say Rob Halford pretty point vocally on Ram It Down. But the song we got from that in the bottom six is so weirdly. Oh yeah, with that exception, that's that's a that's a pretty terrible. That's just an overall terrible song. But 
there's some other songs like the title track. Um, Hard as Iron is, I would say, the great song off of Ram It Down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's too mechanized. It's a terribly produced record. It it sounds terrible. You can tell that um, that also there were some tensions developing between Glenn and KK. Um, mm. KK is the is the hothead of the band. He is always the one that's picking a fight with someone that gets offended very easily. That um, is always fighting with other bands. He he almost got in a in a brawl with Iron Maiden when um, when their original lead singer Paul Diano said that when they go out to open for them that they're going to blow them out of the arena. And like everyone else in the band was just like, yeah, that's just what all young up and coming bands say to about the headliners. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just see. That. But like KK Downing was like moving to get them thrown off the tour for making such a remark. Like that's the kind of guy that KK Downing is. That's that's kind of petty. He's just he's a he's a sensitive yet at the same time very passionate person. An incredible oh, guitar player and and someone that obviously is will always be one of the most important members of Judas Priest. But you pair that with Glenn Tipton, who is a very laid back, easygoing guy, probably one of the easiest guys to get along with in Priest. Oh man, yeah, wearing the wearing the baseball hat on stage, like uh-huh. you can just tell he's. He's casually playing his parts, and meanwhile, he's you know doing these really complex sweep picking you know patterns and whatever. Yeah, like, he really is laid back. He's the guy that's gonna smile. Okay, Down is the guy that's gonna snarl while he's snow while he's soloing. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, history has shown that of the two guitar players, Glenn was the better player and the more imaginative writer. And I think that at this point. Glenn had really um, passively taken creative control musically of the group. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that KK liked that very much. And so there was a lot of songwriting tension between the two of them on Ramp Down. And, And then just kind of Judas Priest starting to become has-beens because Turbo didn't perform well. And then Ram It Down performed even worse. Um, they were kind of they were kind of falling in the in the ranks. Kind of they were starting to join kind of where Black Sabbath was at this point, where it was just like they had their prime, and now they're just making you know trendy sound like everyone else records. Yeah, and so they were definitely in uh, in dire straits. Oh boy! By by the, <laughs> they had really lost their position as leaders of the metal movement. Think about what what was big at the late '80s. This was when Metallica um, was really hitting their peak. Um, the same year that Ram It Down came out and Justice for All came out. Oh man! Yeah! Wow! This okay. is this is this is the point of thrash reaching its maximum popularity. Um, you know, Slayer had uh, in '88 released uh, "South of Heaven," 
Rain and Blood the uh, two years before. Yeah. You had... Um, Megadeth was on the rise. Yeah, Anthrax. Um, you also had bands like uh, like Queensryche putting out Operation Mindcrime in 88. Yeah. Gosh, this is when you had like the the real underground thrash movement, you know, <laughs> that if you go back today and you dig at all those real niche thrash bands, all their albums were from 86 or 87. Yeah. Also... Yeah. You know, Guns N' Roses was was getting really huge at that point. It's true. And of the big metal, hair metal bands were all up in their keyboard phases at this point. This is this is the time of Cinderella and White Snake and um, the the softer side. Uh, Def Leppard, I think, uh, uh, Hysteria came out in '88. And that was a, that was a huge hard rock heavy metal record, and so it's kind of like you you what do you pick if you're Judas Priest? Where do you go? Because you you on one hand could try and go for a harder metallic sound to try and match what the young guys are doing, or if you want to try and keep your your popular sway you kind of got to go with the power ballads and the synthesizers and and try and get on the pop charts so then what do they do so ram it down showed that going the pop direction was not and they already are saying bye to to dave holland on drums Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like what do we do well they find mr scott travis and immediately there's this surge of energy that he brings to the band and uh what we get is 1990s painkiller which which could be their greatest record now think about it at this point in 1990 they were 20 years into their career how many bands have released their their seminal work 20 years into their career? Um, it does not happen often. I mean, a lot of people define Metallica by St. Anger, so you know, there's that. They're great work. <laughs> oh, man, but at the same time, United Abominations, you know? No, I mean, no, that's not regarded <laughs> by everyone to be the great Megadeth record. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I'm sure there's one. I mean, oh, I, I know Judas Priest. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's rare. Let's just say I'm right, right. Like you, you're gonna have to really dig to mm. find someone that that does that. Crazy to think So, Painkiller, I'm labeling it as the greatest comeback record in metal history and maybe even music history. What? Cause I mean, they were, they were in rough shape. Let's also talk about what happened right before painkiller came out, which is the, uh, the infamous backward masking murder trial. Have you what? ever heard about this? What? No. So, um, there was a trial that um, two kids 
while listening to their albums, Judas Priest album Stained Class, uh, both killed themselves and left a suicide note saying that Judas Priest made them do it. Um, and so their parents um, sued Judas Priest to say that they were responsible for their child's death by putting um, subliminal messages when you listen to the record backwards. The um, prime example um, being, if you listen, I know, it's crazy. BS. it's crazy, it's insane. Um, uh, it's a bunch of BS is what it is. Their claim was that if you listen to their song, Better By You, Better Than Me, backwards, it sounds like Rob Halford is saying, do it. Just do it. Not that doesn't mean anything. It oh, doesn't mean Lord. anything. That, it, uh, that could mean go like make your bed. Like, what is this supposed to mean? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, hey, had it had it been you know suicide solution? Okay, there's maybe there's which, an argument there. Still which a there was a court case that because someone killed right. themselves while listening to that song, but which that is not, not what it's about. But different discussion. It's God, man. That got thrown out before it even went to court. Judas Priest didn't. They had to go to court. That is so... And oh, had to God. defend themselves. And um, Rob Halford said that he his defense was finding another thing whenever you play it backwards and saying, I want you to listen to this and I want you to hear the words, I, I, I asked her for a peppermint I, I asked her to give it to me. Mm. And so he played it backwards and he said at, at he he watched the judge and was like at that point he could tell that the judge was just like, what are we doing? <laughs> Rob also had to sing a cappella for like 15 minutes straight, the chorus to Better By You Better Than Me. And it was just the whole time they were just like, this is this is a lose-lose for us. It's obviously a loss if we lose this case. But even if so, it's just like, when we win, like, these kids are still dead. This is, this is not like a thing we're going to go celebrate when we're done. This yeah, is good such point. A, this is such a dark, morbid what happens mm -hmm. but obviously they won the case it got thrown out and it actually delayed the release of painkiller because they were already done with the record when this went to court spring of 90 and ended up having to be pushed to the fall because of the trial and of course that got huge headlines you know judas subliminal i mean can you imagine all of the news outlets taking control of that story mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's that's like their their dream come true yeah i was about to say like that no such thing as bad press when you're a metal band uh, in this instance when you're already down on your and you're being accused of killing kids that's okay, not well. the that's that's too much well, you're going to get the hardcore guys that are, like, kind of insensitive to that. They're like, oh, yeah, that's super metal. But know? Priest was never the kind of band that wanted that. They all 
Oh, I guess. You know, whenever they talk about struggles of good and evil in their songs, good always triumphs. They were never bands that wanted to be shocking for the sake of being shocking. And, you know, they never wanted to be portrayed as evil. And, you know, that's just, that was never their MO. They never wanted to be the bad guys of metal. That's what Judas needed was a priest. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So, you know, it was, it was not some, something that they uh, were happy about. Okay. There was, there was no silver lining to that. So it was when painkiller came out, it was kind of like, what's going to happen? What, what is this record? Surely nobody anticipated painkiller sounding the way that it did. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, even from the first, the first moment, which I know had an iconic origin to it. Yeah. So it's just it's you you as soon as you put that record on, there's there's a statement of intention. Yeah. To to grab hold, not let go, and just go hard the whole however many minutes it is. And to show you that this is the kind of record you're about to listen to. In a weird way, it's like you mentioned how Ram It Down was kind of the, the power ballad route. This isn't necessarily the thrash metal route. Like, it's still definitely painkiller. There's a lot of speed and a lot of intensity, I... and, and that's very thrashy, but it's not, it's, it doesn't sound like every other thrash metal band. I don't even know what painkiller is. It's... I, don't kn- I don't know what kind of <laughs> subgenre of metal this even fits into. I would say, <sighs> I would say that it's maybe a. If if you had to define it, it would maybe be like a mix of thrash and power. I would I would put it in new new wave of British heavy metal. <laughs> yeah, but not even not really. Yeah, that's true. Well, it, yeah, well, it's so heavy, and that's the thing. Some of the same ideas that it's very very power metal with the high vocals and the harmonized guitars and yeah it's be- got the power metal construction and the and, and the and the and speed. the constant you know double bass just pulsing <laughs> but also at the same time like usually power metal is not this dark and intense sounding usually power metal is very majory sounding and very victorious and very sabaton yeah um, kind of a bit more Iron Maiden in its sound. That's true. That's true. Um, but it's 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 also not thrash because thrash is usually not this. It's also very big sounding. Yeah, like it's it's there's nothing is like there's no palm muting. It's just the in every song it's just like this massive wall of sound that's just pummeling you. Yeah, I mean, everything is still got that 80s reverb. They had to tone it back a little bit because everything's played so fast. But when you listen to those drums in the title song, like starting off the album, it's huge. It sounds like you're in the middle of like a warehouse. There's no dryness at all. No, not at all. And the vocals are just, there's so much delay on them. It sounds like it's coming off the top of a mountain. And yeah. everything's so clear. This is one of those records that whoever did the, the sound engineering really, really knew what they were doing. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's got the it's got the speed and the ferocity of thrash. 
mm-hmm. but it's got the the big largeness and heft of power metal and yet at the same time like it's still at its core undeniably Judas Priest it's not like you're listening to it and you're just like there's no hint of Priest in here they've completely transformed into something else mm-hmm. yeah you you listen to these songs and then you go listen to Defenders of the Faith or Screaming for Vengeance and it definitely sounds like the same band because there's those same musical ideas floating around because it's four of the same guys right yeah and that's and and that's another crazy thing about this record there are no new songwriters the only new member is scott travis on drums which i mean that did play a huge part but he was not a songwriter he was just a a a weapon in the arsenal of just going okay now we have the ability to write these kind of songs but they weren't writing these kind of songs before. I mean, Hard as Iron and Ram It Down from that record point to Painkiller. But, I mean, you really can't point to a lot of stuff before and go, this is Painkiller. So, has there been any influence of Painkiller as part of the metal genre, like, are there any bands or albums since then that have sounded even close to this? As and you far can be as honest, priest, there are. As far as priest records, as far as any records, like, is have there been other bands that have tried this and succeeded? I mean, you can be honest. If there are, like, let's go listen to these records. You know, um, I mean, I think that Painkiller kind of stands as a as a unique moment. I mean, obviously, I would say that this was a huge. Um, a huge addition to um, 90s and 2000s metal in general, mm-hmm. kind of moving towards that that groove, but double bass. Like, it's. I think it's very interesting that this came out the same year as Cowboys from Hell. Yeah. Because I can see those two as kind of being fairly, if you had to pick one band that probably was the most similar to, to Priest and with Painkiller, it would be Pantera. But Pantera, really, oh, because they reinvented themselves, yeah. And just it's the it's that that the way that the double bass is being used and um, Phil Anselmo's vocals on Cowboys are very Halford, mm-hmm. very Halford. I'm I'm used to the uh, Great Southern Trim Kill Anselmo by now, yeah. so. But you listen to him on Cowboys. It's it's he's. <laughs> Inner priest stratospheric yeah mm-hmm. just l- think of shattered and cemetery gates and yeah that's true that but, is true yeah I, really what it was though is this it was this shot in the arm for metal let's also look at 1990 as in a year maybe probably the only year that could rival 86 for the greatest year in metal Ooh, yes oh my gosh because you have um you've got rust in peace right you've got seasons in the abyss oh i didn't know that oh, oh yeah Ooh. you've got painkiller you've got cowboys from hell i mean just what a what a insane year you've got uh i think you got practice what you preach oh yes Testament. Uh, you've got Empire by Queensryche, which is a great record. 
I didn't realize Practice What You Preach was 90. I thought it was in the late 80s, but okay. No, 90. Wow. Um, you've got, um, you've got to be, you've got some pretty, uh, pivotal moments in death metal. You've got death, spiritual healing in 90. Oh man. You've got the first cannibal corpse record eaten back to life. Um, that is quite a year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like the first four albums that you mentioned alone were enough to make it least notable. Mm-hmm. My goodness, I had no idea. I mean, because if you really put all of the subgenres of metal together, there's a lot happening at any given time, and the fact that it all happens in 1990—that is, yeah, it's, and it really set the stage for the 90s. It's when it's it was a year of of culmination and also a year of big transition because you've got really the rise of death metal to replace very soon uh what thrash metal was finishing up but also you've got the great finish of thrash metal i mean the fact that you've got um rust in peace and seasons in the abyss kind of the two of the last great thrash records can't for can't forget practice what you preach yeah but those two can't forget my boys in testament those those two in particular though are are considered okay. benchmarks of the genre. Yeah, you know, Rust in Pieces is the best thrash record objectively. Maybe not my personal favorite, but I I think I might have to agree. It's just it's got it's got all of the all of the stereotypes and it does it so well. Man, the Rain and Blood is so good though. It's such a <laughs> it's such a it's such a game changing record. Although I don't, I don't know if it has all of the all of the different sounds that thrash has to offer. You know what I mean? It's got a lot of it's got a lot of the speed. It's got a lot of the 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 crazy I mean, lyrics. I would I would say that Rain and Blood pretty much invented death metal. So you also got that. Well, it, it's it's barely a thrash record, but it's still I think one of the great thrash records. Rust in Peace single handedly showed everybody how great thrash could be that but no it, one even attempted to outdo it yeah the, the the downside to rust and peace being that you know it kind of showed that there was nowhere else for thrash to go it's it's thrash taken to its absolute end point although the post 2000s was was uh i mean after the early yeah but 2000s. it but it's but thrash couldn't do anything new at that point Rust in Peace was still doing stuff that was pretty new. That was just like, man, people haven't tried this yet. It's true. But it, it, it did take it to its absolute breaking point. Um, but so that was, that was the climate that Painkiller came out. And then, of course, 91 is the big year that everything de- definitively changed yep. when the Black Album came out. Never mind and grunge and and use your illusion and kind of just everything it was when thrash died and hair metal died it was the day the music died yeah so it was uh it was a loaded year and yet still painkiller is able to sit in the same level as those great records it's a, it's able to rise out of the noise of that year because, I mean, 
when you talk about the only way I discovered painkiller existed was there was some other comment on like another metal something on YouTube and they were talking about the painkiller at Celerondo. And I'm like, Ooh, what is that? And so I go listen to the song to try to listen for it. And it's like the fact that it's, it's branching out into different subgenres of metal that everybody knows, like the particulars parts of this song of the mm. title song. That's like, that's crazy. Like that's, that is a testament, no pun intended to the, the greatness of this song and like the monolithic nature of the album that it's able to rise above the noise of the rest of metal and survive past, you know, 91. These guys were in the, guys were 20 to 30 years older than everyone else that was putting out great records at this time it yeah. truly is, they were in their 40s when they made this record no wait what yeah oh my gosh like wow, they were okay so i hadn't really done the math yet yeah okay wow <laughs> so like it's just it's truly amazing that especially there was there was no indication before painkiller that they could even do something like this there wasn't a kind of oh the last record really pushed them in that direction and this was just a perfection of that of that new direction it was a where did this come from and single hand showed up people that were all and showed them this is how it's supposed to be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't I just I can't think of any other moment in metal or rock even where a band was able to just just really competition so handedly, so out of the blue. Yeah. I cannot even imagine being a lifelong priest fan and turning on paint and just going, Oh my God. <laughs> and it was, and it was a thing that as soon as it came out, the fans understood it to be a great record. Like it wasn't one of those things that like, Oh, it took a little while for them to warm up to it. Like from out of the gate, it was a fan favorite. And so it just it instantly connected with their fan base, with the the current modern listening that perhaps maybe by this point viewed Judas Priest as old school. The people that were getting into Metallica and Megadeth and it was just like, man, if it's not fast and brutal, it's not metal. It's not worth listening to. Mm -hmm. They evolved and stepped in such a brilliant way that they set themselves up for success going forward. And it's that's the great tragedy of Painkiller. Follow it up. Is that they fell apart right after. Well, they had some good songs on the album following. Oh yeah. But unfortunately, Rob Halford left the band right after the tour was over. And um, the reason he said he did was because he wanted to pursue a solo career. And um, and the band told him that it was it was solo career or the band. He couldn't have both. 
because they were like, we can't, we can't stop the momentum of what Painkiller just did for us. It's, you know, Priest cannot afford to take a year off after, you know, after this big come. But Rob knew that he needed to step away and do this. He said also that he could not stand the tensions between Kate and that just even though the band was riding high, that the tensions were at their worst. And so well, he was... at the same time, you know, then you get the introduction of Tim Owens. You know, you get you get that era where Halford has this solo career, and I'm I'm sure there are some people who are huge fans of his solo career. And yeah, it's like, pretty good. I'm pretty sure he's still doing that now, even though he's also with Priest, although it's in a lesser extent. Like I think he just put out a Christmas album or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so which is which is totally weird to think about that you know the metal god put out a Christmas album um, but yeah and, and, and then of course you have Halford come back and now he's with them now and and they're still kicking the behind out of everybody and so it's not it's not like the band died after this no but come back all but all momentum that they acquired from main killer was completely halted because as as underrated as jugulator is it sold very poorly well it is underrated it's gonna you know. because the fans were not willing to accept someone at the mic that wasn't rob halford even if uh tim was able to do a very convincing sound alike oh he sounded so good though i would encourage anybody who likes painkiller to listen to who likes this episode to listen to jugulator you're not going to hear the same kind of thing okay just don't listen don't listen to demolition though it will be in the same vein but it's going to be a different guy the band's going to kind of lose their momentum i get it the songs aren't as strong but there's some really great bangers on that i mean the opening song really kicks the pants, you know, off of anyone. The final song is probably my favorite priest song, maybe. Oh, I don't know. It's it's definitely in the running. So it's not it's not a bad album. I think Lucas is trying to subliminally convince everybody that Jugulator sucks. I'm not gonna allow it. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm just saying that as far as historically impact I, I get and it. it it did not um imp- it did not make priest bigger because i mean also it came out seven years after painkiller true and they don't even they don't even, um on spotify, spotify. yeah they you have to you know somebody posting like, it from youtube yeah yeah so it's they they kind of forget about the air they don't do any of the songs live uh, but it's, yeah, it's demolition it on Spotify, which is a big shame. It's it's such a it is just such a shame because there's some pretty good moments on that album that I think people should experience. But whatever. So yeah, it's, 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 
really, really, when Rob Halford returns to the band, that's the the natural progression of where they would have gone from Painkiller, because this this modern era of Priest is is following the blueprint that Painkiller set. That's true. You listening to the opening of Firepower with that, you know, it 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 lets you know what's happening just as much as that drum intro of Painkiller. Mm-hmm. So, um, Painkiller definitely eventually shaped the uh, the future of Judas Priest music. Um, but it's it's it is kind of a shame that they um, were in a slump. They released probably their greatest record and then immediately went back into another slump. It was this bright spot. Dark points in their career. Hmm. And that little bright spot. Yeah. Brighter than a thousand suns, you would say. <laughs> oh, oh man. So not an easy pun. Before we go on to our next section, I want to talk a little bit about the song Painkiller. Yes. And and we talked about how um Painkiller can stand as one of the great metal records of all time. And that Painkiller, the song, the title track, I believe stands as one of the greatest metal songs of all time. Maybe the greatest. It's you with an assessment like you have the drum intro that's completely just we we'll talk about it all night. We got the drum intro. Right, and then you've got the really high Halford vocals. You got the dueling guitars that are just perfectly in sync. Crazy solos, and when you think the song is over, it keeps going. It just it it will not stop. You cannot stop the painkiller. It's just wow. I, I think the first time I listened to that song and they do that final, you know, he is the painkiller, and and in, and Halford's in a normal octave for the first time in the whole song. Uh, and it's, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is the end of the song. You know, we're gonna kind of end on like a cool trash can or whatever. And then he hits another high note, and then you get another guitar solo. It's like, oh yeah. And then he holds out that note forever, and then you got the drums that are doing crazy things and whatever. It's just, it's, it's, it's everything that you want your high school talent show to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like just completely blow everybody away in six minutes. I, I, I wish I could play this song. I have been trying to play this song. I can get everywhere until that first interlude where they go to B and then they do the crazy staccato riff. I can't do that. It's just most of this song, you know, 90% of the riffs, 90% of the soloing. It's just, I can't, I can't do it. And, and I would say for most people, and I'm not going to dog on like anybody listening, maybe you can play it, but most people probably cannot play this. And that's just a testament to their, ability and i can't believe they're four years old and they're doing this like man there's some crazy musical ideas in that first song just all the modulations and and the the cello rondo moment moments and they stayed tight man it's oh sorry i'm gonna stop we'll we'll go into more detail about it in our next segment (laughs) yes we will yes we will (laughs) All right, we'll go ahead and take a break here. 
when we come back, we're going to talk about six of the songs that we have picked from the album Painkiller. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Judas Priest's Turning Point, Brighter Than a Thousand Suns album, Painkiller. Now it's time to talk about the six, even though it looks like seven on Spotify, the six songs that we are going to talk about in this episode. If you're new, we usually pick six songs that are representative for um, that band or for a volume two, what we're trying to talk about for that band. And the way that you can listen to those songs is down in the description of every single episode. There is a Spotify playlist that has these songs from every single episode in that playlist. So you'll definitely want to check that out. And not only are the songs from this episode in there, but all of the previous episodes, and if you're listening far in the future, all the episodes after this one. Um, so definitely check through that list. You'll want to listen to the songs that we're talking about, but check through that list. If there's some other cool songs that you want to hear about, we have an episode on it, so you'll also want to check out the episode. So without further ado, and disclaimer, these are not necessarily the best painkiller songs, although there's a lot of really great songs on this album like we just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, these are just a good representative sample. They got a nice flow from start to finish, and they'll introduce you to all the different aspects and all different things you're going to hear when you listen to this album. There's seven on Spotify, but it's six technically, and I think we'll talk about that when we get there. But I'm going to stop rambling. I want to get to what I really want to talk about right now, which is the first song off the album, the first song on our list, the title song, Painkiller. So I got to go into story mode a little bit. Oh, boy. So I talked about in the first segment about how this is one of the defining turning point moments in my life, hearing this song for the first time. So I talk about rock band quite a bit. Yes. And I know it's <laughs> like in retrospect, it sounds so lame that I found so, many, so much of this music through that game. But I mean, it's, it's kind of become a, a, a joke at this point. Yeah. What songs did you not get introduced to by Rock Band? Probably three or four. <laughs> Had the greatest set list of any music game ever. Oh. Um, just to give you a representative of some of the great songs on that game, you had uh, Panic Attack by Dream Theater. Oh, wow. You had The Trees by Rush. Oh. You had... Um, Colony of Birchmen by Mastodon. I've never heard that one. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Um, you've got Battery by Metallica. There you go. You've got um, you've got great just classic rock songs like Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. You've mm -hmm. got The Mountain Song by Jane's Addiction. You've got Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. You've got um, oh, what else do you have? You've got Any Way You Want It by Journey. You have. Uh, now uh, now you we're got, getting into the. Yeah, stuff. You got the Spoon Man. in the journey. You got Spoon Man. Oh, there we go. We're You've back. got uh, Chop Suey by System of a Down. You've got um, diverse. You got Ace of Spades. It's diverse, and all of them are good. Wow. Yeah. Um, you've got, um, you've got Bodhisattva by Steely Dan. You've got um, Ramblin' Man by the Allman Brothers. Um, just great song after great song after great song. Alive by Pearl Jam. Um, that is a good song. I love that song. Yeah. So, 
man, I discovered so much great music from that game in particular. But um, the first time I played through the game, I played through on the drums and not on guitar. And so when you get to the very end of the game, um, there's like the final challenge where you have to play like an eight song set. And it like kind of starts with like some of the easiest songs. And then as you get to the end, you get to the most, some of the most difficult songs. Like you start with Eye of the Tiger and then you have to play Alive and then you have to play a couple more songs. And I remember the seventh song you had to play was Battery. And the whole time throughout this game, I was thinking that Battery was going to be the toughest challenge on drums in the game. (laughs) Because I knew that I knew that song going in. It was when I had just discovered Metallica and just started to get in the metal for the first time. And so I thought that Battery was like the the pinnacle of heaviness. Oh boy. And then I saw poor innocent child. And then I saw that the the final song, because I was exhausted after that song, because that's one of the toughest songs to play on drums because it's so fast. And so I saw that the last song was this little song called Painkiller. And and I was like, it was by Judas Priest. Oh, the only songs I knew by Judas Priest were like Breaking the Law and You've Got Another Thing Coming. And so I just, I knew nothing about Judas Priest really except for those couple of songs. And so I was thinking they were kind of one of the wimpy metal bands that just like did radio metal. And so I was just like, okay, well, after Battery, maybe this will be a a bit of a break and I can finish this. I was like, why? I was thinking like, why is Judas Priest the end challenge? (laughs) Now you know. Now remember, I'm playing the drums. So the first thing that happens is I get thrown this drum solo. Oh, yeah. And I have to play this on a single pedal drum kit. That first drum solo hits, I fail it instantly because I just was not expecting anything even close to that. Fail it instantly, yeah. Second time, I make it through and the instruments come in. And of course, I'm just, I'm having to just pound away on one foot on the little plastic foot pedal. And I'm just, like I'm hearing everything, I'm just like, "What the heck is this? What am I listening to? This is Judas Priest." No, and this then, is the painkiller. And then the song kept going and going, and I. So again, this is the first time I'm hearing the song, and I'm having to play it. <laughs> and so I get to that second speed up section, and like my body is about to give out. And I'm thinking, okay, this is the end. And then the guitar riff comes back in, and I'm like, no, 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 there's more. <laughs> and then it just goes right back to the beat. I'm like, no, I can't do this. And then it gets to the big ending, and I'm like, oh, thank God. And then whenever there's solos in Rock Band, whenever you start one, a little percentage bar will come up, and it'll tell you how um many you get in the solo section and so i see the little percentage bar come up and i'm like "Uh uh-oh i have to do a drum solo now and of course it's that huge crazy drum solo at the end somehow i make it i'm probably have like i'm probably like 
minutes away from failing. And the song ends and I finish the challenge. I quote unquote beat the game because it's like the final challenge of the game. And I just like fall to the floor. <laughs> but in the but in my mind, I think I have to learn how to play this song. Yeah. And so I that's the point when I because it was I got the, I got it I think in like the game in like October or November and so the first thing that I put on my Christmas wish list was a double bass pedal for my drum set. I I started to learn how to play double bass because of Painkiller. And as soon as I got it, I sat down every day and played it. And once the song was over, I started it over and I played it again and again until my body physically wouldn't let me go on. And it didn't matter how terribly or slowly I played it. I pushed through to the end every time and played as good as I could. And each day I got a little bit better. And after like two months or so of this, and I'm sure of driving my entire family crazy of just hearing on the drum set. I learned how to do double bass and could play most other metal songs just from playing painkiller over and over and over again. And it was at that point that I became a heavy metal drummer. That's quite. Wow. So yeah, I wasn't lying when I said this was going to be a story. That that was a story. So painkiller is a song so near and dear to my heart. I would probably put it in my top five favorite songs of all time because of just how much it has meant to me, how much it has um, impacted me as a musician, as a drummer. And it's also one of the songs that no matter how many times I hear it, it's exciting every single time I put it back on. I like go into animal primal mode every single time the song comes on. No matter where I am, what I'm doing, I drop what I'm doing every single time the guitar solo comes on and an air guitar solo to it. Same. <laughs> and um and it's just it's a it's a it's a masterpiece work of heavy metal. It is. In every sense of the word. Yeah. So, my feelings for Painkiller are very very strong. <laughs> This see you you learning it as it being like your first double bass song that would explain why uh, I think the first time we actually played together we played Painkiller and then of course we got to that staccato part and I wasn't able to play it <laughs> yeah but oh man yeah and then that's that was the moment that I realized like oh hey Lucas is a good drummer we should probably have him in the band. <laughs> <laughs> So, yep. Yeah. This, this, this is a quite a pivotal song because I would not be here talking today, if probably, if we didn't play Painkiller. Painkiller has brought us together. It's it's important in so many different ways. It so, is. yeah, it's a it's a great song. So Grant, 
you were kind of like excitedly just running us through all the different parts. What's what what makes this song so great to you? Uh, well, okay, it was it was the first experience. Like you, it was the first experience that I had because I went into it thinking that the Acella Rondo part was the coolest part in the song. And so when I was listening to it, I got like partway through the song and then it's like, oh, there's the acceleration. So that must be the cool part. So the cool part's over now. And then you have that first guitar solo. And oh, that's when man. that's when the wow factor started for me. And so then I just like the music video was on. Like I was I was listening off of YouTube at this point. I didn't have Spotify at this point. I was still in like early high school. And so um the the music video was on, so I switched tabs and I go to the music video towards the black and white very chrome uh video and so then now i'm watching it and they're like jamming in the middle of this warehouse or whatever and it looks totally like something out of terminator Mm -hmm. and i'm just like completely blown away and my face is like two inches from the screen and every single moment every single note of that solo is just like wow and of course he ends it on that really high note and it goes right back into the verse and i'm like oh my gosh like that's just it's it's textbook perfection it's just they made every decision it's correctly just, in this it's song it's mind boggling to me that these are the same guys that were helping to create metal in the early 70s that I'm just going to go on record and say that K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton, I think, are underrated guitar players in heavy metal. Because no one ever talks about them when they're talking about the great shredders of metal. Yeah. Like when they're... Oh, my gosh. But, I mean, I I think that Painkiller is one of the most technically impressive solos in heavy metal. Not just for how hard it is to play, but also how coherent sounding it is. So, yeah, it's it's not my there's melody to it. There is a there is a distinct direction that it's going in. I I knew um, Glenn Tipton and KK Downing soloing from stuff off of British Steel and stuff off of um, Scream for Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith and that stuff. Right, some of those really popular songs from those albums, I should say, and. I knew Johnny B. Good existed, and there's there's some cool parts in that song as well that are not that's, super intense. I think it's off of Ram It Down. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty terrible song overall, but the instrumental section in that song is pretty cool. It's got some impressive moments. Well, that was, I mean, needless to say, that was my image of peak Judas Priest was that song, and so to have you know a Judas Priest solo opening with sweet picking. I was just like, Oh my gosh, these, this cannot be. Cause I knew it was Glenn, Glenn Tipton the whole time. Right. I knew he was the Judas Priest, you know, guitarist. And I knew KK Downing was the Judas Priest guitarist, right. That both of them were pretty much the guys. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, or I, I should say, I knew at the time that there were no lineup changes for the guitar between what I knew of them and what this was. I recognized their faces, right? Um, and, and so when I saw the sweet picking and I was like, I had just been introduced to that technique personally. And then I saw that from something from 1990. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like 
these guys are really good. Like, well, it, it shows that they were guitar players that were truly dedicated to their craft and yes. constantly getting better. Because they, the problem that you tend to find with the old guard of metal guitar players is that they always stayed stuck in whatever was their thing at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Like Tony Iommi never progressed out. And I'm not, this is not to say that he's bad, but it's, I think one of the reasons why that black Sabbath was never able to stay relevant really for very long. I mean, obviously they had that resurgence in the early eighties, but that was much more because of Ronnie James Dio. Um, but you know, he he was never able to adapt into a modern metal guitar player. He just was always the the guy that played the slow riffs and was never a great shredder. Yeah. You listen to a lot of early Priest. They didn't start off as great shredders. But as time goes on, they're picking up what other guitar players are introducing they're not playing the same way they're constantly evolving and learning as they go and so by the time you get to painkiller they are guitarists that for 20 years now have been consistently working to be better they're not just being content with well we're in judas priest we're great guitar players we're influential you know we can play you know whatever we want they studied yeah and i just i find that so inspiring that these guys in their 40s outplayed just about everyone else in their competitive field again some of them probably being about half their age yeah my my biggest influence on me musically is not necessarily learning to play the song you know because i if I'm honest with myself and knowing my own um, personality, I probably won't have enough attention span to learn this song. Uh, but sometimes when I'll write a song or I'll compose like a part of a song or whatever, I will think in my mind like painkiller energy, like mm -hmm. unrelenting, don't let go, like in your face, hit you with the freight train type of energy. And I now, try I try to channel that sometimes. And this is the song that I try to do that with. Sometimes I'll, you know, for, for like maybe a, a different kind of heavy, like a slow heavy, I'll think of like Pantera or something. But when I want to do fast, heavy stuff and it's not thrashy and I want to wow people, I don't want to make people get the stank face. I just want them to melt, like faces melt off. This is the song that I think of, you know, and... I would love to be able to learn this song and be able to play this song. And we'll have to, to do a cover song, of it sometime. Uh, and, and be able to play this song in front of people. Right? That would be amazing. But, man, I'm just... You got to get some good musicians around if you're going to pull that you gotta get Well, you got to get some good musicians around. And you got to also, you know, have the discipline to learn, you know, every single part Mm -hmm. whilst you know meanwhile if you're going to play in front of people you also got to learn the solos for other songs and you know learn other songs and maybe you have other things musically you want to do and you have other things in your life that you want to do you can't dedicate 168 hours a week to learning this song that's required uh but man it's it's got the energy 
it's it got does. it's got the energy and it really sets the tone for the rest of the album i mean it's one of the longer songs on the album mm-hmm. but it does give the whole can't stop the painkiller and now we're gonna go into our next song you know and you're still gonna be face melted and completely yeah. wild uh-huh it's not a one-hit wonder but we haven't even talked about Rob Halford on this song yet. Oh my gosh, we have not. <laughs> we've talked about the drums, we've talked about the guitars, but really, I would say the MVP of this song is Rob. I Everyone's mean, the MVP of this song, though. This yeah. Is just, this is just an all-star song, but Rob it really is, takes but it to the next level. I, I, think, I think that Rob and takes the edge. Again, this is a man in his 40s singing this. And I would say that he's never been better than he has been on the in, than on the entire Painkiller record. He is he had his he has as his absolute vocal prime. And just the the sheer power, the range and the 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 theatricality that he puts into it and then the lung power some of those screams that he does and that huge long held note at the end it's it's a rare moment whenever i can hit that long note and sustain it for the entire time that he does it this this is the type of singing that i want to do and it's very diverse over the rest of the record it's diverse over this song Mm-hmm. You know the 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 verse. He's all the way up in like B above middle C, I think, or something. Way high up there. You know, way higher. Starting off, way higher than all the thrash guys are going to start off a verse, except right? for maybe Overkill. I mean, if, if we talk, okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, I mean, thinking about the best metal songs of all time, right? All of them have fast drums you know, diverse sections, great guitar solos, and pretty good vocals. But here we have, you know, entire drum solos that completely take the cake, you know, and then multiple guitar solos. It's unrelenting, you know, and it's also got an extreme vocalist who's really dedicated to the craft in his 40s who can sing way above all of those other great thrash epics. Master of Puppets has great solos, lots of diversity, that thrashy riff with weird time signatures, right? They're really tight. Uh, Rain and Blood, diverse moments, right? You have solos. We can argue if they're great, right? Great riffage, though. I mean, undoubtedly, right? And and Holy Wars is another one of those that's in that discussion, Diverse mm-hmm. moments, really good guitar solos. That I think that song really shines through the guitar solos. But all of those three vocally cannot compare, and not to say they're vocally bad, but cannot compare with the vocals of Painkiller. Yeah, cannot I, compare I with to... the, Yeah, cannot compare talk... with the, the screams in the bridge yeah. that are harmonized and high and tight. Ooh. You don't get that anywhere else. Yeah, I talked about in our uh, Ronnie James Dio episode that I consider there to be kind of like a a holy trinity of metal vocal performances, being Stargazer, Hallowed Be Thy Name, and Painkiller. Yeah. And I mean, I think those three kind of stand above all the rest of just like these incredible, like, awe-inspiring 
vocal performances and all three of them approach it very differently but i mean rob halford's the metal god for a reason and he hadn't he really had nothing to prove he was already considered one of the greatest if not the greatest by this point and he just i mean he annihilates everyone with this song I do think that we should finally move on though cuz we would literally talk about this for another hour and I would be as afraid. as much as our fans like to hear us talk I'm sure that they're ready for us to move on to the next part. Yeah, they they probably want to listen to this song over and over and over like we have in the past. But it's time to get into and I'm not as familiar with the album. But I believe this is the second song. This is, yes. Hell Patrol. A shorter song and a little bit slower, but still not letting go. Really, I would say that this song even more set the standard for what the the type of songs that Jews Priest was going to write in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, this this is where Redeemer of Souls and Lightning Strikes and those songs really find their inspiration from. These kind of mid tempo, the guitar following the kick drum pattern. Mm-hmm. And you have those real triumphant vocals, very power metal. Mm-hmm. That's still that's a very, right there. a very aggressive, dark sounding power metal. Oh yeah. Oh man. And then he's got that the Hell Patrol scream. You know, so mm-hmm. it's got that. That low Halford, uh, uh, kind of like a barky tone. Yeah, that's really really good. And then of course he's still got that painkiller squeal. Oh yeah, especially the one he does at the very end. Oh yes. Oh, that's one of my favorite moments of this whole set. There's another one in our fifth song that's also just really really good. But. That, those are kind of the moments that turn the song into like, hey, this is a really great song. To, oh my gosh, you know, this mm-hmm. song has such a good progression to it. And it's this... those, little, those little details that at 40 years old, they take the time to put in having nothing to prove, like you just mentioned. They take the time to put that kind of stuff in there to really make it a, a full experience. This, I think, is maybe maybe the great underrated Judas Priest song Mm. like as far as just like this because no one ever talks about Hell Patrol I mean it's is hard to follow Painkiller that's very understandable and I think kind of maybe the whole tragedy of Painkiller as an album is that people tend to always talk about the title track and then forget about the rest of the record yeah because you don't you don't really hear people talk about the other songs on the album except for maybe Touch of Evil. Yeah. Touch but, of Evil and Metal Meltdown. Yeah, I also hear Nightcrawler will tend to be one of the other ones that gets brought up often. <laughs> or Living be... Bad Dreams. <laughs> no. Ah, ah, ah. Um <clears throat> but it's I think Hell Patrol is is one of the great just dark horse Judas Priest songs because it doesn't do anything crazy. It, you can't really do anything super crazy after Painkiller. There's no way the listeners' brains could be able to handle it. 
You got to right. have something that's slower, but is still going to show that this is a that first song was not a fluke. This whole album is going to be powerful. Yeah, and it's kind of like that bliss moment when we talked about it in our Muse episode. Yeah, where it's like newborn was kind of you know experimental, and then bliss was somewhat normal but still kind of new. I mean, Hell Patrol is very much that way, is that it's something that's more expected. This kind of follows naturally from what happened in the 80s with, you know, Early Priest and, of course, Iron Maiden, right? It sounds very new wave of British heavy metal with that new, like, tough edge to it. You've got some halftime sections, you know, you've got some new 90s intensity. But at the core, this is still, you know, kind of that power metal Mm-hmm. let's go slay the dragon kind of feel yeah so and it's yeah it's it's, it's very it's, victorious yeah. it's very like it's very call to arms and and i mean that ties in with the lyrics the he rob halford said that he considers the hell patrol to be the legion of judas priest fans that it's just it's it's like a it's a group of people coming together united under the cause of heavy metal which that's the most priest thing that there is. That's that's very Slipknot in a way. From Judas. Well, that's that cool. was that was their that was that was, I would say that's their. There's there's like three things in particular that Judas Priest sings the most about. Um, you've either got giant robot creatures destroying the earth. Which is what Painkiller was about. Right. Um, you've got sex, obviously. That's like most of the 80s. <laughs> and you've got, um, you know, people uniting under the flag of heavy metal. And you have Breaking the Law. Yeah, but if you were to get the top three <laughs> right. of the majority, those are those are the top three things that they they sing about you could also say that they love to sing about motorcycles and oh, and going out on a good cruise and leather well the leather <laughs> is usually a, a synonym for the motorcycle thing the reason they talk about leather is because it's for a motorcycle yeah but okay <laughs> but <laughs> but but yeah yeah no you're right this is like it's a nice inspiring like rally cry and the vocals are not as um, fast, right? You still have big, uh, very diaphragm centered, lots of air in the vocals are very big and almost Dio in a weird Mm -hmm. way. Um, And of course, just that, that nice triumphant sound, the harmonized guitars. It's very, it's, it's very palatable after, the the song that completely shakes you around and, and leaves you, in your case, literally breathless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and I think with that, although we didn't spend as much time here, I think with that we can get to another blazingly fast song. Twisting the strangle grip won't give no mercy. No, it won't. I think I think this whole album is talking about itself. Think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is all guns blazing. Yes, this is the third I, one. Yeah, uh, this. So we, I did do a one, two, three, but I mean, it just it works so well. So 
Mm-hmm. Might as well keep it. Um, it's it starts off so interesting with that acapella, multi-layered, high-pitched Rob Halford. It's it's yeah. jarring almost when you first hear it. It really is. But then once everything kicks in, you're just like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and and once he starts that verse. Then the lower octaves. And you're like, oh, that was the perfect decision. It's really a a lesson in delayed gratification. Yeah, and it's the it's really the only high pitched he does in the whole song. Yeah. The rest of it is all gonna be mid tempo. And this is and this is again, this is something that it's a much different type of groove instead of kind of more of like the the galloping, like rolling feeling of Hell Patrol. Now this is just kind of more it's it's more painkiller-esque but slower but it's still just kind of got like a like a marching feel of just it sound it sounds like guns firing it and it makes you want to put the horns in the air and kind of bang your head you know it's got that feel to it and that's what this whole album really wants to do or really makes you want to do i should say yeah um originally i thought that this song was a a euphemism for sex i mean wow. it's it's well with Judas priest it's what you kind of have to come to expect oh okay i guess uh, but when i was reading the lyrics it it is literal guns blazing in a firefight mm-hmm. so i was i was kind of shocked to find that it wasn't the dirty meaning that i thought it was that's what I would expect from this album. Is yeah, there's there's songs. there's really only one um, sex song on the album, right? I mean, that's just kind of that's kind of the nature of an album called Painkiller with yeah. the guy with the chrome, you know, saw blade motorcycle and the cool armor and the lava and hell and yeah. That's just what you'd come to expect. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of pe- fans that speculate that this is a, this is the next, that Painkiller could be a concept record and that it's following the story of the Painkiller and that this is the, this is the point in the story when he's, he's fighting against all the unbelievers and he's, and he's fighting the forces of evil with the Hell Patrol. But, that is that has never been endorsed by the band. I just think that they just lyrically were just in that frame of mind and were like, we're just going to write a bunch of badass metal fighting songs. That's just what they do, and they do it so well. Yeah. Man, oh man, oh man. And it's just, it's, it's, I don't think that they're the kind of band to do a concept record that's so... Uh, uh, puzzly. Like, they're, if they were going to do a concept record, it wouldn't be a, a giant puzzle. Well, it'd be very I mean, much explained out. Well, Nostradamus was their concept record. Well, see, that just goes to show you how bad it is. I didn't even know that. So, <laughs> maybe that's just not their thing then. I mean, obviously it isn't. It didn't really work. Well, that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. We're talking about painkiller. Now, 
everyone's gonna think, man, they love Painkiller so much, and they're not. They don't love the other songs as much. We're we're gonna kind of move through the rest of the songs fairly quickly. Just, I mean, with the first song, it was there was so much to unpack because it's of how much significance it has for us and it being among the greatest metal songs of all time. So it's like talking we, about Master of Puppets. You just got it. Yeah. But I mean, all guns blazing. There's there's not anything like crazy out of left field that happens. I would say except for that that opening. But yeah. besides that, it's just a powerful, moving heavy metal song. So let let's get into something that's a little bit, little bit out there. Yeah. Now, skip one song on the album, and we, then we go to our next one on the list. Metal meltdown. Metal meltdown. Uh, this one. I think you originally introduced it to me and you're like, oh, we should, because we were in After Dawn at the time. You're like, oh, we should start a song with a cool guitar solo or whatever and then play this. And I'm like, wow, okay. Like, you've got the weird uh, synthy stuff going on in the background. And then you have two guitar solos that kind of like one plays and then it cuts out and then the next one plays. And then there's just this weird fade in and. It almost sounds like it's a continuation. The way that we have it set up in, in the set, it almost sounds like a continuation of All Guns Blazing because it's yeah, the, it really same, the same kind of tempo, the same key, the same feel to it. But then it really picks up and you get into the main riff. You have more of that original feeling of weirdness from the original Painkiller. You got the higher vocals and it's just, we're kind of back to that that frame of reference. Oh yeah, this is this is balls to the wall, foot to the pedal to the metal metal right here yeah that was a very awkward way to say that this song is fast and it doesn't let up yep um the the drums on this song i cannot play this song it's so fast he does not stop the double bass pedal until uh a couple of hits in the middle of the later guitar solo Wow. And then he just goes right back into it until that breakdown. Until the breakdown at the end. Yeah, see, this this is how you can tell that they've taken a little bit of energy out of the 80s reverb. Is when you get to that final breakdown, it doesn't sound like domination where the drums are, like, reverbing for eight years. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, it's, my God. That breakdown is... Right is nasty but the breakdown still is pretty nasty and oh man oh it's just so good it's just so good especially after just non-stomp relentless force it comes right at the time where you're just you feel like you probably can't take it anymore and it's just Mm -hmm. it's the perfect like reprieve before it just jumps right back in Mm mm-hmm and, I'm listening yeah. to you right now. I can't even. I can't even think. <laughs> yeah, but that double bass will melt your face off. Is what it is. The double bass is so fast. I've tried to play it a couple times, and I like can't go past the first chorus because it's just mm. it's it's like initially it doesn't feel fast, but when you're not stopping, it just it starts to add up real quick. Yeah, and, and it's it's tight with the guitars too. Mm-hmm. Ugh. It's just that it, Scott Travis had to be a literal machine in 1990 yeah. to be able to do this. And I, I wanted to use this opportunity to kind of really break down him as a drummer because 
he is someone that is highly skilled, yet he doesn't really do things that show off per se. He's not like doing anything like Neil Pert or Mike Portnoy likes where it's like he's he's doing these really complex fills or really complex grooves like his go-to is to just mash on the double bass pedal that's hmm. that's that's what he does if you listen to most of his grooves it's just like he keeps it very simple yet he has the ability at times, like, I mean, you can hear it in, in the title song, Painkiller. You can hear it in some of the fills he does throughout the record that he, whenever he really wants to pull out something tricky, he can, but it's a rare moment. Mm-hmm. His focus, first and foremost, is just to provide a machine gun rhythm for everything else to sit on top of. And so really, he's he's more of a support player more so than you maybe would initially think after listening to painkiller it's so weird to think about that but i mean you also got to think about what you know um ian hill's doing yeah is he's having to play that stuff with him as well oh yeah there was there's a secret to this album that i never told you about okay and it's that um, Ian Hill actually does not play on a majority of this record. Oh my gosh, really? Because he was, uh, I think he was, he was sick during the majority of the recording. And so actually what it is, is it's a bass synth. That's quite funny. And then certain parts are reinforced by Ian Hill and the times that he was able to come in and record. And so, like, I know on Painkiller that it's what it is. It's a doubling of both authentic bass and synth bass. Both so, playing together to add extra beef to everything. Really, what we're listening to is semi-industrial power thrash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that all the, all the, um, the bass synths, um, were played by Don Airy, who also did all of the actual keyboards parts who is the current keyboard player for deep purple that's and quite has awesome. been and has been for the last 20 years that's quite awesome man let me tell you the end of this song has a metal gods reminiscence to it you know yeah with, with the chanting with, with the with the chanting kind of like when they're banging the silverware in the studio yeah it's it's got that feel to it, but you still have that double bass behind it. So it it's mm-hmm. it's that new Scott Travis energy. It's just it's, it makes for a really mixture. A really yeah, and and Rob Halford's voice down. steadily creeping up higher and higher and higher until it just finally explodes at the end. Yes, 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 yes. This and is man. this is a this is a glorious song. This was this was the song that got me into the rest of the Painkiller record. Cause I just used for a while I just listened to the song Painkiller. And then I found Metal Meltdown. I was like, why haven't I listened to this whole record yet? I that is exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> because that's exactly what happened to me as well. Is when I heard Metal Meltdown, I'm like, oh okay, this is like when you showed it to me, I was like, oh okay, this is, must be a record of really good song 
songs because I'm like, this is the fifth song on the record. There's no way they're going to put their second best song as the fifth song. I mean, it has to be full of good stuff. And, you know, my intuition was correct. Needless mm-hmm. to say, you know, hold your applause. Right. But, ah, oh, man, it still is really good. And that, that doubling when he goes to the course, the here comes the metal meltdown and the guitars are doubling that as well. Very, very reminiscent of electric eye. It's still mm-hmm. the same. Oh band. yeah, that's right. It, it's still the same band. And that's so crazy. Like you could, it's not only that there's this uh, metaphysical, like, Oh, it still sounds like Judas priest. Oh, the voice is kind of the same. The way that they play, you know, their riffs, somewhat sounds like it like there are specific things you can point to that are like this is something that judas priest does that's like specifically them and that's like that's crazy that's crazy it's crazy and that's kind of one of the reasons why this record's so crazy 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 i can't get that word out of my mouth right now apparently um that it's definitely still the same band. You can prove legally that this is the same band playing, writing, constructing music mm-hmm. after 20 years. It's still making new things happen. It's just, I'm just going to keep on this same little thing until we go to the next song, which is... A Touch of Evil. A Touch of Evil. So this is like the other big song, I guess, from the album. Yeah, then- this is like... They surprisingly don't play a lot of songs from Painkiller Live either, except for they play this song on almost every tour. This has kind of become a live favorite. And this is this is kind of our one truly mid-tempo song on the album. Mm-hmm. Everything else is is some variation of pounding pulsing aggressiveness in just various different grooves and tempos but this is kind of the only one that maybe could be classified as ballad-esque but it's still not even close to being a ballad i wouldn't even not even a power ballad it's just a uh it's a really really heavy mid-tempo song but it's it's a perfect breath of air after the after the constant barrage of aggressiveness, this th- this is one of those songs that if someone says you can't have a, a band or song with keyboards in it be heavy, point them to this song. Yeah, because there's a very prominent keyboard part, and yet you still have that just kind of dark sound to it. Mm-hmm. This song more than any other song on the album feels like classic Judas Priest. Like, this is a song that perhaps wouldn't have the um, the 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 engineering heaviness, like the way that it sounds, but that I could see being written maybe being on Defenders of the Faith. I was just, saying, I was just thinking that, yeah. Or Screaming for Vengeance. Like, it's got that, just the way that it's written it's it's a classic Judas Priest sounding song with the painkiller coat of pain on it. <laughs> coat coat of pain. Coat of yeah, I, I kind of did sound like I said that. 
No, yeah, I would definitely agree. And you're right. It's slow tempo, but it's not, or I should say mid-tempo. Compared to the rest of the album, it's slow tempo. But it's so heavy. Like, the guitars are still really intense. And the vocals are still really intense. And you've got that big, triumphant-sounding chorus. Oh, man. What a great chorus. He's got... Yeah, you do have a great chorus, but you also have a great moment in the third verse. Oh, Um, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's another... another, other voice. Yeah, that's another moment in this this set when I heard it, and I was just like... Because, obviously, we've condensed down the album into six songs, you know, and so this was a new experience to me because I've never heard it in this this format and i listened to that and i'm like oh my gosh i've never really like paid attention much to that moment probably because it's so far into the album that my brain's kind of turned off mm-hmm. but i was just like i gotta learn how to sing like this <laughs> so i i think you can figure out what i've been doing this past week is um sounding like a dying squirrel in my car uh singing to this album <laughs> yeah It'll do that to you. It will do that. And I've been I've been training my pipes to Rob's voice as well. And it's it's one of the most fun things to do. Is if you if you have the ability to sing to Judas Priest, then it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. I can sing Hell Patrol for the most part. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's kind of my sing along one. I would love to hear it. Uh, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> Not right now. Oh uh, no, we'd we'd lose every listener if I tried to sing it right now. But <laughs> but uh, it's it's sometimes great to you know pretend uh, on your own that you can sing metal meltdown, you know, or touch of evil even because it's not super high that someone with a decent range, you know, like me could sing most of the parts. And so it's still, there's the accessibility factor of it as well, that it still sounds like a human being singing on this album. Yeah. I, I just got to the, I just got to the scream in my listening. Now, just let's talk that. about the epic guitar solo. Ooh. We start off with that great line, the banana, Mm-hmm. And he, oh, and that other great line, the bow, 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 bow. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it's got this same progression as um, something like Tornado of Souls or Cemetery Gates, where it kind of starts off a little simple, and then it gets into, like, some more daring ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it jumps an octave. There's a couple of faster runs here and there. It doesn't do quite the stuff that you'd see in, like, As I Am, where it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Man, but, that ending of that solo, though, is one of the more insane things that they've ever played. Oh, yeah. And and there's some real bluesiness to it. It's very dime bag in this weird way. And that's so strange to think that Cowboys from Hell was the same year. Yeah. Gosh. And I mean, there's no way that they could have heard Painkiller when they were writing Cowboys Film because it hadn't come out yet. And there's no way they would have 
listened to Cowboys from Hell and thought, man, we should do a solo just like that. Well, no, we know that they didn't because Rob had recorded. That he he got the he got the idea to listen to Pantera after seeing uh, Dimebag do an interview with a British Steel T-shirt on. He was just like, oh, cool. Let me, I want to check these guys out. And he listened to the record and was like, oh, we got to get them on our opening for us. So Pantera opened for them on the Painkiller Tour. Oh, that's awesome. Can you imagine that show? Gosh. I wish. I wish, I wish, I wish. That would have been something. That have been that have been the night of my life. Let me tell you. Gosh. Although I am more than content to be able to go see them in about a month. Yeah. It's still going to be awesome. <laughs> Let's get to our final song. I mean, technically pair of songs, but I'm grouping them together as one song. It I'm, I'm, makes I'm, sense. I'm confused of why him is its own thing it's it's so very obviously has to be a part of one shot of glory they have done that since multiple times yeah i mean but still i just would just like just make a just make it a seven minute song and when you reach six minutes people aren't going to care if if there's an extra minute of opening interlude yeah and it does start with that really cool, it does feel kind of like a battle hymn. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, everybody, let's put on our armor and, you know, sharpen our swords and go defeat the hordes of Mordor or whatever it is. <laughs> and you've got the, the, the cool little guitar line and the little synth intro. It sets it up really nice. You end on that, um, gosh, what is it? I think it's I think it's the major seven. The you, you you end like a half note below the start of one shot at glory, and they're in the same key, so it sounds like it's naturally going to lead into it. So I mean, you're right. It, it there's no reason it should really be its own song other than maybe we're going to have the track listing look a little bit more interesting. That might have been the thought. Maybe the same and reason why like, you separate the hellion and electric eye when obviously they should never be played apart from each other right right so, so one shot of glory this is this is the closer to painkiller mm-hmm. and um crazy enough they've never played this song live before whoa what a shame but i've learned and i'm i'm sorry for anyone that's going to spoil this the new tour, they're debuting it for the first time. <gasps> and it's the show opener. Oh, no way! Oh, this is going to be awesome. Oh, man, I'm going to lose my voice like five minutes into this concert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no and way! out after I had solidified my set for this episode. And so I was just like, oh, this worked out quite nicely. I am... Um... I'm just getting more and more excited for this concert. <laughs> the more we talk, mm-hmm. wow, wow, wow! It's just this is just a good time. So, just, I, and and this song is very much uh, Hell Patrol esque, I should say. Mm-hmm. 
but it's got a different feel to it. Yeah. This this is a a worthy grand finale to Painkiller. Um it's one of those songs I I will admit the first time I heard it I was underwhelmed by it, but every time I listened to it it grew more and more on me. And now I listen to it I'm just like this is so epic. It it does have that kind of um magic to it. Yeah. There are some songs that just you can't explain it. Maybe it's the lyrics. Maybe it's just the way that the riffs are just simple and memorable that every time you listen to it, every single time that you've listened to it before builds on that experience. And really you're kind of listening to the memories of you listening to it. And I mean, this is just one of those. This is one of those that it, it kind of, I think there are some, I think for this one, there are some lyrics to it that it's like one shot at glory. And then, so you're listening to this song and you're thinking, Oh, one shot at glory. What could it be about? You know, maybe it's about the album. Maybe it's about whatever. And so you're listening to this, this, at least for me, listening to this song, trying to figure it out. And then album ends and you change your thought. Right. And then you get to the album again and you finally get to one shot at glory. And you're like, man, I tried to figure out what this meant last time. And so you build off of what you've listened to before. I think that's probably the um, the uh, advantage of being the final song of an album. That's definitely what happened uh, with me and Cathedral Spires. Is every time I'd listen to Cathedral Spires, I would remember myself having listened to it in the past. And been like, man, I remember last time I listened to this. I remember first time I listened to this. I was at such and such place. It gives me this feeling and this and whatever. I listened to the Cathedral Spires over and over like my first few weeks of um, college. And so every time I listen to it now, that's what I think about. And I think about us being in After Dawn and like being so excited that we're all in a band of like metal heads and we're going to write metal music together. It's really sad that they never turned into anything. But, I know. Uh, may- maybe one day, you know, we'll we'll record something and we'll have something to show for it. But yeah. And so I think one shot at glory is just poised correctly in the album to be one of those kinds of songs. Uh, really the, the center point of this song is massive guitar solo in the middle. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a, it's such a well arranged solo because it, it, it figures out ways to keep the solo going while still taking it. And like when it goes into the, the triplet section, it's going triplet while the drums are still staying in the. And the chord changes that it goes through the, the feels and the way that they're playing the tempos that they're playing at. It just, it, it's it's like a minute and a half almost of soloing, mm-hmm. but yet they figure out ways to keep it fresh the whole way through. And, and yeah, they don't do the Lagrange thing where they just keep going on the same idea. Not to not to bash that song, we did have a ZZ Top episode, but uh, it's just it is new feels and new ideas each time. You're right, and. Yeah, you've got you've got one last one last great Rob Halford scream at the end. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it just it sums up everything that you need from Painkiller, and yeah. every everything that you've heard up to this point in the set all features here at One Shot of Glory. Um, you've got the you've got the the unite metalheads lyrics you've got the great rob halford vocals you've got the searing guitar solos you've got the fast drums i mean it's just everything that you want and need is there and it all resolves very satisfactorily that's not the right way to say that but you know what i mean (laughs) i think that is a word yeah and satisfyingly that's the way you say it there you go Satis- satisfying. I know words. Yeah. Woo. English. It's yeah, it's I'm not even going to add to that. It is. <laughs> it just really is. At this point, it's kind of like the best thing I can say is just go listen to it. Go listen to it, guys. And this is kind of another one of those songs that is playing into my argument that the album's about itself. Let's be honest here. One shot at glory. This is like their make or break moment. Because they're doing something new. Right? This is completely outside of what, you know, everything they've done before is. Obviously, you know, we talked about how it's definitely the same band. They still do the same isms. But this doesn't sound the same. This is this is very new. Very experimental for them. So this is like their one shot at coming back this day will last forever and this album will last forever we should send this on a probe to space (laughs) so that other extraterrestrial civilizations can enjoy painkiller and it will last forever i think believe it will i think that's what he's trying to say with this song it's continued to age well oh yes like a fine wine I don't think you even are old enough to drink wine. I know the phrase though. <laughs> I I I I try to uh keep myself away from the alcohol and I will probably continue to do that for the rest of my life. So I may not be able to fully understand the meaning of that phrase, but we'll see. I still know euphemisms. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and uh wrap things up there and we're going to take another break and when we come back we're going to give our final thoughts about painkiller and about judas priest so stay tuned we'll be right back welcome back everyone to the good music podcast we just got finished talking about judas priest and their 1990 record painkiller uh the six songs that we talked about were painkiller hell patrol all Guns Blazing, Metal Meltdown, A Touch of Evil, and Battle Hymn slash One Shot at Glory. Now it's time to give our final thoughts. So Grant, uh, how have your thoughts about Jews Priest changed since the beginning of this episode? So for me, at least, I'm very familiar with the sound of this album. I'm not familiar with like the track listing, right? I haven't memorized the track listing. I don't know every song by heart. But I have listened through the full album multiple times. It's weird that you kind of get lost in it because it's so crazy. Um, but maybe that's a good thing, right? You kind of get engulfed in the power. 
Um, so my, one of my biggest takeaways, which this hasn't happened, I think, since Michael Jackson, but having them in this order, in this condensed format, I was able to really focus my ears on the cool moments of these songs, which I really never had worried about before. Um, like Touch of Evil, I think I get Touch of Evil now. Yeah. Having not have it had the stuff surrounding it, you know. I understand all guns blazing now. I understand one shot at glory now. Um and that was that was really cool to have those all in here in a condensed format so I could just focus on the six. Um and I liked that. I liked having them in that order. I know that's one of your things that hey, go listen to them in this order. Um, even if you've heard of all before, this is firsthand evidence, or I should say, in the case of the listeners, this is secondhand experience, right? That listening to the songs in this order, even if you've listened to them all before, listened to them all before, you will get a new experience out of this. So even if you love this album, you know, definitely go listen to these songs. The other thing, um, I didn't really understand their history quite like I should have uh, because obviously I'm familiar with the recent stuff I'm familiar with the 90s but maybe I'll I'll delve a little bit deeper into their their early 80s stuff I feel like that's where I'm gonna go from here I I would encourage listeners who have delved into the 80s stuff and like this is your first introduction to the 90s listen to listen to jugulator so you can prove lucas wrong dm at good music podcast on instagram lucas jugulator's amazing it's like <laughs> one of my favorite priest albums and of course only do this after you've listened to it right um but okay. yeah I, I personally i personally it's it's my personal crusade I personally am probably going to go to the early 80s stuff because I've never really given that a fair shot, I don't think. And I, I I don't know. Having had the historical context, maybe I'll appreciate it a little bit more knowing that I'm not going to get the kind of thing from Painkiller. I'm going to get something completely, um, I don't want to say completely different, Some, something less intense, something much more uh, punk. And so... I don't know. Pro probably go listen to those three British Steel to the Fenders of the Faith albums. I hope some of the listeners will join me in that uh, experience. And maybe maybe I'll have something to share by next episode. Who knows? So those are my two biggest takeaways, that the order of the set was really cool and learning about the history was really cool. So, Lucas, final thoughts. Oh, also, I gotta name my favorite song. Right? Forgot about that. Gotta go with Painkiller. It's pretty obvious. And I probably didn't move up from an eight because I'm already familiar with all these songs. Okay, now I'm done with my final thought. Lucas. Um, I think for me, for a long time, my love for Judas Priest was kind of assumed for me and almost subliminal. Like, I never talked openly about how much Judas Priest was an influence on me because I don't think I really understood. Like, of course, anyone says, do you like Judas Priest? Oh, yeah, I love Judas Priest. Painkiller is one of my all-time favorites. 
But I found that when I was researching for this episode that I really started to realize how much I love Judas Priest. Like actually being able to finally be aware of it and realizing that I know so many of these songs word for word and that I have the time of my life when I'm listening to them, when I'm air guitaring along to them, when I'm singing along to them. And that there's entire albums that I know front to back and that have played such a large part in my shaping of music, my, my taste, my, um, my taste in metal. And I think that that was kind of the big thing that dawned on me while getting ready for this episode is just going, okay, I don't just love Jews priest. Like Judas Priest is one of my all-time favorites, a band that I think now I could confidently say could fill that fifth spot. <laughs> oh my! That we're gonna have to have secondary pillars to further distinguish. Yeah, but and, I mean, uh, listen, listening to that story of my introduction to Painkiller, I mean, that's no mere. I really liked the song. Yeah. No, I get it. That was a song that my life would be drastically different if I never heard it. Yeah. Drastically. Who knows if I'd even still be a drummer. Gosh, yeah, good point. I mean, it's just, it's that song single-handedly put me on the path of being a heavy metal drummer. <sighs> and giving me the ability to become one. So, I it's you can't take something like that very lightly. No, that's that's something that I think pushes Judas Priest to being as high of a nine as you can be without crossing over into the ten spot. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. And I mean, obviously, my pick is Painkiller, (laughs) but feel like because that's so obvious and such a given i feel like i need to give a good shout out to uh a touch of evil because that's the one that grew on me the most throughout this research process Mm. i don't know which one i would pick it would it would probably be metal meltdown because metal meltdown is really good it's kind of got that same feel to it, you know, that kind uh-huh. of unrelenting, won't let go, and you got the cool guitar solo at the beginning, and the cool breakdown at the end, and that one's probably mine, but... Let's talk about where everything lands on the ranked playlist. So, for <laughs> those of you that don't know, I uh, whenever I research an episode, I try and rank an artist discography from worst to best most of the time i can't fit their entire discography into a week's worth of research but i try my best with judas priest i went all the way up to painkiller because i just i did not have enough time to go beyond that um but i'll also include the where the songs from our first judas priest episode landed on the list so um at the at the bottom is uh, All Guns Blazing. Oh, really? Wow. 
at number 33. But, man, you get up to, like, 50, and it's still, like, really incredible songs. Oh, I believe it. This is one of, it's one of the, the greatest top 50 I've ever seen in a ranked playlist. Um, so All Guns Blazing at 33, um, One sh- Battle Hymn slash One Shot at Glory is at number 19. Oh, big job. Um, Metal Meltdown at number 18. Um, Breaking the Law is at number 13. Breaking the Law. Help Metal Gods at 9. A Touch of Evil at 7. The Hellion slash Electric Eye at 6. Beyond the Realms of Death at 4. The Sentry at number 3. Victim of Changes at number 2. And Painkiller at number 1. That is such a strong top four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because, man, all of those songs are just staples of metal. Yeah. I mean, Beyond the Realms of Death, right? That's that's the ballad number one. Yeah, that was the original. Hey, an Electric Eye, no one's going to, no one's going to say that's a bad song except oh, for no. Dad. God, I'm, I keep trying it's to get so him baffling. To I keep trying to get him to add that to our playlist, and I'm like, man, bands who play the same venues we played to, the same audience we would play to, have played this song. We could do it so much better. Yeah, ah, it's just. I bet you could. I gotta. I just gotta convince him. I just gotta convince him. We, man, we I might new... get back in the band if you put that song on the set. <laughs> we we got a new vocalist who really really can kick the pants off of anybody. So I think he would have a lot of fun with that one. But good. It, anyway, we're not we're not talking about that band. We're talking about Juice Priest. Now, Harry, my son. Yes. I think that he got into Judas Priest more than any band so far. He has become obsessed with right. all things Priest. Oh, well, that's par for the course. He he knows just about every song in the top twenty five of the ranked playlist, Ooh. and can sing the chorus to all of them. Ooh. Um, overall, his favorite song is "Free Will Burning," but that's not in our set. But that's what he always says is his favorite. But then wow. I ask him, "What's your next favorite?" and he says, "Painkiller." Yeah. Woo. But he can sing "Electric Eye." Him singing the chorus of A Touch of Evil is the most hilarious thing ever. Um, he can sing Screaming for Vengeance. He can sing Breaking the Law. He can sing Riding on the Wind. He can sing the whole chorus of One Shot of Glory. He sings Turbo Lover. He sings Blood. It's just, it's, it's amazing. This is awesome. We, yeah. we may have a future heavy metal vocalist on our hands. He told me that I have to take videos of, of them when I go see them in concert so he can see it. <laughs> oh, man. 
Oh, and man. when I showed him that a bunch of their songs were on Rock Band, he like freaked out and was just like, "Do you have this song?" And I played it, and he was just like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> man, it seems like it seems like every week Harry gets more into every band. Yeah, like he went hard more like, so than I've ever seen him go on anyone else, except for maybe it? except for maybe Johnny Cash. He went really hard on Johnny Cash. Man. But I mean, just the 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 sheer number of songs. Like he'll even say, "Play dissident aggressor," <laughs> and I'm like, "How do you even know how to say that?" Wait, which which album is that off of? That's off of the third album, Sin After Sin. Okay, I've heard of that one. So he's asking you to play songs that I've only heard of. Yeah, he's he's definitely. He's definitely a fan. I would say on his list from one to ten, Priest is like a nine. Nine and a half. Yeah, I would say so. Wow. That's this is quite the uh, formative formative moment. Yeah. I was I can't tell you how proud I am. <laughs> Man, I would be too. Do we have a Callie's pick? Oh no, not at all. <laughs> she, she despises Judas Priest. No. And you can't win them all. Well, well, that's it we, for our. We don't episode. have an Andy's pick. A what? An Andy's pick. No. I know you've started implementing that. No, but I, I'll probably have one for next week's episode. Ooh. I haven't looked um, at who it is yet, so this will be a surprise for me as well. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Um, this was a, as you can tell from our passion throughout this one, this was a really fun one for us to make. Yep. And it's sometimes it's really fun for us to do an episode on one that we both know really well and that like it's not about convincing one or the other to like this band. We just are geeking out. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's fun to do those from time to time instead of me having to try to convince Grant, try and like them. I promise <laughs> you'll like them. Here, here, here. Peter Gabriel Genesis isn't bad, I promise. Which it I agree now, but <laughs> Boy, am I going to have to make up for it next week, though. Uh-oh. We're going as about as off from painkiller Judas Priest as you can possibly get is going to be our artist for next week. So um, you'll definitely want to make sure that you tune in for that because it's going to be something I think you guys will not see coming, but it's still going to be a really cool episode. And um, we have new episodes every Monday 9 a.m. Central, so make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss when a new episode drops. Make sure to follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. That's where you can get in contact with us. Let us know what artists you want us to cover in the future. Um, We usually try once a month to do an artist that you guys recommend to us. We didn't do one last month because of the the special Genesis month. I, I had a very strict thing of what I want to do, but we are doing it again this month in October. In fact, next month will be one year of us doing uh, fan requests each month. So that's a, that's a big milestone. Um, Make sure you check out the songs on our Spotify playlist. The link to that is in the description of the episode. And the other link takes you to our Patreon page where you can get access to episodes early as well as you get to hear the exclusive segment 
the bad music podcast where we're going to talk about the six worst Judas Priest songs. And boy, are we going to have fun with that. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to hear that, we're also going to have a big tournament at the end of the year where um, Ethan is going to come back and we're going to do it like uh, like NCAA style where we get like a bracket and we try to determine what was the worst song that we listened to this year. We might be able to like send out brackets on the Instagram, you know, have people maybe and and like people could fill it out, have their prediction bracket. That'd That'd be be pretty cool. Well, we'll we'll solidify as we get closer, but we'll do that at the very end of the year. So that's going to be a thing. So if you want to get involved in that and be a part of that, we'll we might live stream it. I don't know exactly, but that'd be that'd be a pretty cool thing to be a part of. So, so yeah. Um, and that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Brent. Keep on listening to good music. <laughs>